Hello and welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is Future Classics. everybody, my name is Brett Stewart. Joining me this evening, Nicole Davis, how are you? And then, and then you start singing to his grandmother, and, and she doesn't remember right away, and then she starts to sing with him, and it's just, and it's, just it's just so beautiful. I was was sitting on the couch watching this movie and Claire walks in thinking I'm crying because my eyes are all tearing up because I'm right next to the pets and it's just all the dandruff is just incoming into every, you know, (laughs) nostril and eye. Um, I might as well have been crying. Gosh, darn it. It was cute. David Luzader, how are you? (laughs) And then he starts singing. His grandmother starts remembering. Uh, I'm, no, I'm good. I also, <laughs> likewise, cried at this film, which usually doesn't happen for me watching a movie. You know, I typically got to get surprised by emotions. Uh, but this movie, dang it, it just gets in there. It knows how to tug at your heartstrings. Boy, does it ever. Well, Extra before we talk about... Shell. Yeah, for exactly. sure. Uh, before we talk about this film, however, I do want to announce next week's movie. It's an around-the-world pick. It can't be a film uh, made in the United States. It's Nicole's opportunity to pick. Nicole, what are we going to be watching? Yeah, okay, guys. I got, I got one word for you about next week's movie. One word. Are you ready? Werebear. <laughs> We're going to be watching Guardians, not Guardians of the Galaxy, just Guardians. It's a Russian superhero movie, and there is a werebear. Oh, yeah. With a oh, as in W-E-R-E, <laughs> werebear. Yes, as in werewolf, but a bear. <laughs> yes, yes, I remember when this movie came out. <laughs> oh, I'm so here for this. A team of former Soviet superheroes combat a dangerous scientist. Of course they do. What yeah. else would they do with their time? Yeah. Oh, this looks great. All right. There. Guardians from 2017. <laughs> and uh, you said it's a Russian film, correct? It is. And I believe it's on Amazon Prime. So lovely. You've already got that service. You won't have to pay extra. Very good. Well, Guardians, check it out for next week. I do want to correct myself from last week. I thought Coco, which was our pick this time, was still on Netflix, but it's now been moved over to Disney Plus. So you can only watch it there streaming. Uh, But we watched Coco from 2017. This was a pick from David. Despite his family's generations old ban on music, Miguel dreams of becoming an accomplished musician like his idol, Ernesto de la Cruz. Desperate to prove his talent, Miguel tries to borrow his dead idol's guitar and finds himself crossed over to the stunning and colorful land of the dead. There he meets charming trickster Hector. And together, they set off on an extraordinary journey to secure a blessing that will send him home and unlock the real story behind Miguel's family history. David Coco, uh, you brought it as a future classic. Lay the basis for your case, as if anyone's really going to fight you on this. <laughs> well, it's it's one of those things, right, where it's like, oh, it's a Disney Pixar film, of course, like it's going to be great. Like, you know, even their even their B material is still going to get to you in some way. I'm looking at you, Finding Dory. Uh, <laughs> so it, it seems like a no brainer, but for me, this movie does so much to go beyond even that. Uh, I think the reasons why it's going to be 
a classic is you know beautiful animation uh, that is vibrant and and colorful. Uh, I think the themes of it are very universal. As we all discussed, uh, it gets to you emotionally in a way that doesn't feel cheap. As sometimes, like as, as sometimes, uh, Disney Pixar movies can. You know, there's just so much heart, and we're going to talk about like the history of this movie and what went into making it, getting it made. It's, uh, I just I love it. And I, when I saw this movie in the theaters, I was like, that's going to be nominated for best picture, no question. And it wasn't. And I believe it was robbed. So I am here now <laughs> to uh, hey, this year, the Oscar pool is pretty slim. Let's throw Coco in there. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's just revisit all the uh, all the ones that didn't make it. It did win an- best animated feature film and as it uh, should have but still and, right and achievement in music for original song for Remember Me. Uh, this was a film that I had never seen in its entirety. I'd seen a ton of clips of it, and like I understood a lot of the story because it's already, in just three years, become kind of the cultural zeitgeist of understanding the, the basic premise of Coco. Uh, so I hadn't seen it in full, though. Nicole, you probably had. I did, yeah. I saw it a, a couple of years ago when it first came onto Netflix, and nobody nobody else wanted to watch it with me. So you know, I picked a week when the kids were at their dad's, and I watched it by myself, and... Oh my, I ugly cried so hard at the end of the movie where he sings to Mama Coco and, oh, boy. Yeah, yeah I just teared up a little this time. But first time when, when it, it came out of nowhere and, oh, boy. So, yeah, it's a good movie. <laughs> we can I wrap like up. It. I think yeah. it comes by its heart tugging, honestly. For sure. And then, David, you mentioned like, yeah, of course, it's a Pixar Pixar movie. It's going to be a future classic in some capacity. And that kind of reminds me of a comment you made when we watched The Last Jedi when I brought that as a future classic, which was like, yeah, it's by the nature of being a Star Wars movie. It is in some form a classic, right? Like Pixar movies are so highly lauded and regarded and by and large take a pretty long time to come out there. You know, they've only made what, like 15 movies, maybe, maybe less, a little more. I don't know. Um so by its own nature, it is destined to have some sort of, uh, you know, special status amongst animated film. But this seemed to transcend that in so many ways. I totally agree with you. I was so absolutely blown away by this film. And I think the best way to start talking about it is just build from the ground up and talk a little bit about how it was received, how it was made, and then we can talk more about the film. And Nicole, you made the comment that you know, the success of this movie is a little remarkable, given America's mostly death-phobic culture. This is a movie all about Dia de Metos and the land of the dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, this is a country where, like, some of your older relatives will actually, you know, whisper, like, it, you know, that's Anne Hilda. She has cancer. You know, she, you know they'll, they'll whisper people's ailments so as not to draw death to them, you know, and they're we get so freaked out about it and we don't like dealing with it. And that's why it, I think uh, it's a disadvantage to our culture. You know, when people who are close to us die, that we, we get hit so hard because we don't accept it as part of the natural order of things, you know, on the whole, there's, you know, there's subcultures in America that do, but I think on the whole, Americans are just like, Nope, Nope. Don't want to think about it. Don't want to deal with it. Not gonna, you know, let's push that over there. Um, Mm -hmm. And a movie that is so centered on 
I mean, quite frankly, this movie, which is so centered on dead people, um, <laughs> for and it's a movie for children centered around dead people, that it did so well. Well, you I know, think it didn't do as well as some of the you know like Toy Story, but it's it did quite well. Yeah, it made it made under a billion. It only made eight hundred million. Uh, poor <laughs> poor Pixar. How will they ever survive? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it probably won't be a franchise movie, which thank God it won't. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I get what you're saying, but I, I want to hit on the point of like, this is a kid's movie. And like for a kid's movie, I think it does that thing that one thing that'll make it like kind of transcend. And, and another reason that I'm, I'm pulling it as a classic is like, okay, yeah, this is like, it's a family movie. We know little kids are going to be watching this, but we're not going to pull punches. Like there is a murder on screen. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, you have skeletons walking around and like, you see like the pores and the bones. Like, Oh, I mean, I could talk for hours about the level of detail and we will at some point uh, <laughs> in the, in the design, but it doesn't pull those punches, you know, talking about death. And I think that is like is beautiful and maybe kind of that's part part of the reason for its success is like it creates this kind of a little bit of like a safe space for us to like talk about death in a way and the people that we miss and remember and even if we don't very often as a culture talk about it out loud we all have these feelings right of not wanting to be forgotten of not wanting to forget and it's uh it's it's yeah, like I said, the themes are universal, even if it is very culturally a movie about Mexico. Yeah, I, I attached this quote that I think speaks to what you're saying, David, to a different discussion topic of ours, aptly titled Can of Worms Number 1. We'll get to that at the very end of the show. <laughs> uh, but I think it actually is more apt here. Um, this is from uh, Reggie Ugwu. Uh, UGWU of the uh, Washington Post. He said, Americans have very few, if any, shared spiritual spaces, which is why Coco and other mega pop culture experiences may be in modern times a kind of sanctuary, the closest thing we have, however cheesy it may seem, to talking about the religious or supernatural spheres in which all but the most hardcore non-believers still dabble. Uh, for many of us, these experiences open a door with others and with ourselves to touch uh, the few religious topics that still feel widely relevant. That is not nothing at a time when public debates about presidential prayers, breakfasts, and which marriage or divorce documents God approves of seem for millions of Americans soul-killing. Um, politics aside there, at the very end of that, I think that that puts in perspective just how hard it is to talk about religion and spirituality uh, within particularly an American culture. It's, it's mm -hmm. a very divisive thing for many reasons. And, uh, Coco kind of opens that door in, in, in a light way, right? But it does. It makes that safe space sanctuary theater where you can all go to the movies and at least, you know, experience the same story about remembering those who have died and what that what that means to you spiritually, which is, you know, what this is all about in this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a there's another movie that I want to get on the podcast at some point, um, and I'm not sure if Nicole's seen it. I'm pretty sure, Brett, you haven't, uh, is The Farewell uh which came out last year and deals with it from a, a Chinese perspective where they don't talk about death so much to a point that they fake a wedding to basically uh, cover up the fact that they're visiting a terminally ill woman. And, uh, and now to like to have this movie kind of on that opposite end of the spectrum uh, of movies I want to bring to this, I think is a little bit funny. Yeah, no yeah, kidding. I mean, I, I think this oh, go ahead, Nicole. 
I, I think it makes this makes death more palatable because it's yes. all, you know, very assured. It's like, yeah, oh, of course, there's something, you know, there's a place that you go after you die and it's still fun and you can still go to parties and be with your family and hang out. And you can even go go get food one day of the year and bring it back and eat and, you know, play with the <laughs> yeah. oh, awesome mythological type animals and, you know, just have a grand old time. As long as you're remembered on the other side, then you're right. you're golden. It's cool. Yeah, uh, and this is it's one of those. This is one of those worlds that is like so beautiful. And like the uh, highlight of the movie is that it leaves you wanting to know more. Like I want to know what happens in this land of the dead when it's not Dios de los Muertos. Like, does it not exist during those times? What do the people do during those times? And it's like there's part of me that's sad. I'll never get those questions. But at the same time, I just I love having the mystery of that. Apparently have jobs part of the time. Yeah, I was like, going to say, I don't think you can make that bureaucracy work if it's only open one day a year. You know, <laughs> you just don't have the time to get all the records together. Yeah, like there's one thing I found amusing, is, and, and and this is the more cynical side of me, admittedly, is like apparently there's it's still a very classist society in the in this version of the Land of the Dead, and it's a it's a society in which you still have to clock in and out of your seemingly mundane real world jobs of police officer and record keeper and guy at the dead people DMV. Like all that still kind of exists in this, Um, which, which that adds to the world building for me. Like I can put aside my cynicism and realize how adorable it is and, and how great it is when we finally meet our great, great grandmother character. And, and she's fighting with the poor clerk over the fact that, she should have been allowed to cross the bridge over into the real world for a night. There's the the devil box. Is the devil the box. <laughs> An old CRT, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about that that premise, because we've talked a little bit about, you know, more broadly the idea that this is a very spiritual film. Uh, the idea here is that when Miguel gets transferred, I, I say it like he's moving colleges, when he gets like... <laughs> Poofed when he gets into cursed. existence, and yeah, when he gets cursed, there we go, uh, and poofed out of existence into uh, the land of the dead. You can cross a bridge, and this bridge takes you into this beautiful, incredibly vivid. We'll get into that too. Um, society of the land of the dead, and he has until midnight in order, or until sunrise. My bad, um, in order to get his family's blessing in some way, shape, or form uh, to return home. Of course, he can get it very easily at the beginning, as long as he doesn't go and play any music, but. If he wants to play music, he's got to go find his great-great-grandfather, uh, who he believes is Ernesto de la Cruz, to give him that blessing. I, so, oh, go ahead. Real quick, I want to say I love, I, I didn't even realize how great of a story choice it was until right now. I love that they have him because the, the, he gets the, he's offered the blessing at first by his great-great-grandmother. And she's like, as long as you never play music again. And, you know, he takes it and then immediately is like, ha, ah, jokes on you i want to keep playing music and they show up backfiring because you know if they didn't everybody would be like why didn't he just take the blessing and then you know why didn't he just lie about it and then play music anyway so i really appreciate that they were like here's why it wouldn't work nerds but my great grandma coco's father was the greatest musician of all time Papa. ernesto de la cruz one day he left with his guitar and never returned no, my family thinks music is a curse. Great-great-grandfather, none of them understand me. I'm supposed to play music. All right, who's in there? I'm sorry. What's going 
<laughs> right, because he gets transported immediately back as soon as he takes Ernesto de la Cruz's guitar. Uh, one thing I, I, side note, as long as I'm mentioning the guitar, really incredible how they must have mapped actual guitarists when animating this, because all of those are the right chords. They're, they're the right sound of the chord. They're the right finger placement. That is all real, and it just filled my heart with joy. It's easiest to see when you first see him playing guitar in the attic uh, when he's hiding from the family, but those are all real chords. Huh. Nice. Yeah, so they, so they end up in Land of the Dead, and we meet the family. Uh, it, it, was, it, it was weird to me, like, realizing halfway through the movie that I was, like, rooting against the family that loved him. Like, I realized, like, <laughs> like the, the play, uh, until we learned the harsh truth of Ernesto de la Cruz, the stand-in villain is a loving family trying to find their child. Um, because you don't want them to find him. I think that's another that's another thing of, you know more generalized american culture is it's so individualistic and so you know follow your dream and don't let anybody hold you back um that yeah i mean that that takes precedence over what your family wants for you even if they adore you and only want the best for you and want to take care of you and teach you a trade and you know <laughs> be there for you um yeah, we're we're seeing. Yeah, we're just like no, no. He he's got a dream. He's gonna go follow it. You know, let's go, go, Miguel. Yeah. So we're seeing the rebellion from the side of the child, right? We're seeing it's, yeah. it's like his his family is like, ah, oh, look what music did, and you know, we want you to have a, a life of like guaranteed success, and you know, it's maybe not creative, but it's good work, and it's you know, it's done well for our family, and he's like, no, I want to go play music, and of course, like they're. The, the the excited part in all of us is like, yeah, go play music, even if you might end up a skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because he doesn't die if if he is not able to get the blessing by sunrise. He just turns into a skeleton and becomes part of the land of the dead. I do want to mention here, we always kind of allude to it that obviously our shows are very spoilery. The twists in this movie were so delightful to me that I feel like it is incumbent upon me to expressly say that before, if you've gotten this far, 19 minutes in, we haven't really spoiled any of the fun twists yet. Get out of here. Just stop. Like, come back when you have to have watched it. Yeah. Because I want to be able to talk about those, but I also want my mother listening right now to stop and go back and watch the movie. Um, Because you don't want them ruined for you. They're just so good. Um, Unless you're one of those weird people that reads the synopsis ahead of time. So... In any case, let's talk a little bit about how it works to be preserved in the land of the dead. When he gets to the land of the dead, he learns that in order to stay there, you have to be preserved by those who are still living, maintaining your memory and celebrating you on holidays. Um, now, it's also... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, David. You can you remain there as long as somebody remembers you, but you can't cross over unless you are on the ofrendo. Right, right. On the actual holiday when they put your your photo up. Then you can cross over. They have right. a great like TSA scanning system to make sure your photo's actually up. Uh, <laughs> now, one thing that threw me initially was that at one point Hector, who is the the trickster, the the vagabond trickster who you know teams up with Miguel to help him find Ernesto de la Cruz. Uh, that way, he can bring Hector's photo back to the real world to put it up. That way, Hector can be remembered and not disappear. Uh, Hector mentions that like someone living has to remember you, um, which is why Miguel can't just go back and remember Hector. He has to go find Hector's daughter. Um, 
Now that must be the way it must work is that like someone is who is living must have to put the photo up and remember you. But then as long as the family keeps telling stories, it must not matter if people were living that actually knew you because the family trees go back so far that a lot of the pe- the folks in the land of the dead are, they wouldn't have people that have known them in real life. Yeah. 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 As long as the memory is carried. Right. right. As long as it's passed down and stories are told about the person and, you know, yeah. they tell all kinds of stories about Mama Imelda and she's, you know, like fourth generation back from Miguel and yeah, and like, uh, he knows all about her because the story keeps getting retold. And Ernesto de la Cruz is able to get all of these offerings from all these fans generations later, even though none of them would have met him. Right. But you have to have had at the very least someone remembering you that knew you, though, he said, which is why they need to have his daughter remember him at the end. No, no, I think it's, I think the memory can just be passed down because I mean, there's gotta be some, like there's probably no one. It wouldn't work. He tells Miguel, you can't just go back and remember me, that it has to be someone living that remembered me when I was living, which is why he needs a daughter. I don't, I don't know. (laughs) I think you're right. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent. Because otherwise there's not a lot of weight in having the daughter remember. Aside from being cute. No one else in the family knows who he is, though. Like they've but all. She does. That's like, true. Even Abuela's not old enough to have met to have Hector met. because Hector died before she was even born. So, right. That's why he needs. He can't just go back. He has to get there before Coco the, dies. The, spoiler. Um, well, yeah. no, no, no. Because he's trying to give him the picture, and he's like, "As long as you have the picture of me up, I'm." Well, I guess he's being forgotten. He's just trying to pass over before the night's over. I guess, you know what? We, let's not get mired in the logic <laughs> of, of, of the yeah. legal system. I, I think I think there's there's part of it though that that involves like Coco needs to remember before she passes on as well. Uh, so yeah, what ha- so Nicole put it in here? What happened to people born before photography? And I think we've answered that question. Is that they have to be have remembered we? in other? I mean, they have to be remembered in other ways, right? They have to be talked well, about. But how be- do they visit the thing? You also got, yeah, they can't come visit because you can't have a photo on the ofrenda, you know, like, so what if some, what about somebody in like 1840? There's no photos. <laughs> Is it, what were their ofrendas back then? I don't know. I don't know enough about Mexican culture and Dia de los Muertos to know that. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's, uh, it's confusing. <laughs> it's I confusing. I don't well, know what what liberties have been taken with Mexican culture too, because I know that I found out that alebrijes are not mythological creatures. They were created by an artist back in the 1930s, and it was just they became so wildly popular and copied that you find these things all over Mexico now. Hmm. Cool. Interesting. Yeah, and and to to get even more pedantic uh before we move out of this <laughs> phase of the podcast what's the deal with what you look like in the land of the dead because when coco is in the land of the dead at the very end she's seemingly the only elderly person there because she's the way that we saw her when she died so at first i, I was thinking Julio's a little bit older I, I guess yeah he's a little bit older um but so at first i thought oh it's just the way you looked when you died but that would a that would really suck and then b <laughs> That means like almost everyone he's interacted with has died at like the at like peak middle age. So I don't think that's the case. Do you get the choose? I don't know. Is is this a question no. that we're just having about heaven in general? <laughs> like, yeah. 
It looks like a lot of the people, I mean, again, they don't have skin, so it's hard to kind right. of tell what they look like exactly when they pass. But it seemed like it was a lot of like older people. And, you know, you have obviously there are a fair number of people who die uh, before their time, as it were. Uh, I, yeah, again, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, we could spend a long time trying to unpack the logic <laughs> of this movie. <laughs> Yeah, maybe yeah. it's like the Matrix, where it's like your mental image of yourself is how you look mm-hmm. in the land I'm good of the with dead. That. That, to, that, to, that flies. To possibly answer the question of what uh, the ofrendas before pictures, uh, they said that you know you'd, you'd put people's favorite food, beverages, as well as photos and memorabilia of the departed. So maybe like oh, back in the okay. day, it was like as long as stuff of yours is right. getting passed down. Here's great grandpa sock, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Scan your foot. We made a sock puppet out of it that looks like grandpa. It's great, you know. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, skulls, skulls everywhere, and they really are everywhere, oh right, David? Yeah. yeah, and that's that was me just kind of more wanting to talk about the like the design and level of detail mm-hmm. in this movie, mm-hmm. uh, more so than I th- I think more so than other. Pixar movies in a way. And like that's not to say they aren't yeah. beautiful. We talked about Toy Story 4 uh and some of the very beautiful animation there, but I like Toy Story 4 is trying to reflect the real world kind of. So like the the level of detail there is like it it's realistic. In this world it's like the level of design is just uh, in this fictional land of the dead is is just beautiful and you could like freeze every frame and just spend forever kind of like digging for like little skulls or little patterns and it's really cool yeah i actually noticed in like the the first shots of the land of the dead you can actually see skulls in the negative spaces Mm -hmm. yes like buildings and archways and i was like oh that is so cool what a great idea and that they you know, built that in there and not everybody's going to spot it, but it's a nice the, little detail. The fronts of the trains are skulls, looking, you know, they're everywhere. Yeah. It, you know, it, it's just the unbelievable amount of them and you can go online and you can look at the, you know, the classic like Pixar type reels of hidden things. And then like, yeah, there's, a, there's your stuff in there that is like, Oh, Nemo is in the background and there's a pizza planet truck. And like, there are things the Toy Story characters are in there as balloons on the street. Like there's, there are those classic Pixar Easter eggs, but in the design, when you look at all these frames, like everything from like the gates at the entrance to the land of the dead have tiny little skulls in the wrought iron, uh, the windows at the like DMV type building uh, have like, like the archwork of the windows and the panes is in the shape of skulls. And they're all like that sugar skull shape um, or Mm -hmm. calaveras. I believe they're called Um, Disney didn't do the whole, like hide a Mickey mouse ear type thing in this movie, which I appreciated. They instead (laughs) opted for that. Yeah. And, getting down even more like on what I was talking about, like on the skeletons themselves, like the pores in the bones, there's so many of them and it's like, it should be creepy and unsettling. And it kind of is the longer you stare at it. <laughs> but again, like that level of detail, like, it, you know, they don't look waxy and we, and there's so, I mean, there's so much that went into the design of the skeletons and actually how difficult it was because uh, skeletons don't have muscles. So from an animation perspective, it's really hard to figure out how do we make them move? And then how do we make them emote and uh, some really interesting challenges? 
I love the shot when Miguel is walking down the street with Hector and he's trying to walk like a weird, like, like limp zombie. Uh, he's like, oh, I'm just trying to walk like a skeleton. And Hector's like, no, no, we don't walk like that. Continues to walk just like that. Uh, yeah, the animation is beautiful. And, and, and not just on behalf of the of all the skeletons. And, and we see skeletons of all shapes and sizes. Um, but of these of these spirit animals of sort, they're not, what are they called? Um, spiritual guides or... Okay. And there are, they come in all shapes and sizes. Um, some are, some are as simple as a dog. Others are a d- dragon cat. Uh, I think. And, uh, yeah. She's like a flying mountain lion. You know, Pepita. She's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can we, can and we just I have love a- that like all of them look like they came off of like a late seventies black light poster. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just have a moment of appreciation for Dante? Which, if if we had oh, been pre one hundred episodes, the the uh, the list I wrote on our website of the top five movie doggos, he would have been in contention for number one. He would have given uh, seeing I bet you run for her money because uh, what a great dog! Uh, did you guys pick up on your first time watching this like that he is the spirit guide and before Frida Kahlo alludes to it? I mean. It, I'm, it kind of feels a little bit obvious, I guess, in a way. I mean, every isn't every dog, and I say every dog because every uh, Disney movie, no matter what the animal is, it's a dog. See Tangled and Moana. Uh, that, like, aren't they all kind of spirit guides in a way? Well, I mean, this one is named Dante, and he helps also that. take Miguel through the underworld. So, you know, it's like... <laughs> or it takes him through the the land of the dead. So That's yeah, true. I mean it's it's kind of and, it's it's a little more telegraphed with him. And we find out quite literally that he is one with his little wings. Yeah, oh, little so, wings. I, 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 I wa- saw it as like a a get a blessing that that Dante got that he received in the land of the dead for like being such a good boy. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but he's also allowed to, it seems like he's allowed to jump back and forth because we see Dante at the very end. So he mm-hmm. becomes finally the family dog, even though even though the abuela says, you know, do not befriend uh, street uh, dogs because they will latch on to you forever. So, and sure enough, it seems like Dante has done that. He's just, he's so delightfully stupid. And I think that's what I love about him is he's just the yes. most dopey movie dog I've ever seen. Um all the way to the point where he just can't fit his tongue in his mouth. And it just made me very, very happy. Uh, Let's talk a little bit more about the culture in this movie and the process Pixar went through, because um, I don't want to say it's uncharacteristic, but it is definitely something that they themselves have expressed as a lot more than what they would normally do with a movie to delve into the culture that they are portraying. Uh, They took, you know, many more visits to Mexico to immerse themselves in this culture than they typically would have. Uh, they included pre-screenings that Pixar historically will never do uh, in order to have actual Hispanic audiences and like cultural authorities from different Hispanic organizations and uh, and different places like that give feedback on what you know what felt did anything feel crass was anything not correct was anything missing the mark and they seem to have listened to that more closely than than a lot of studios take the time to do. Yeah. I think it's easy to be like Disney, the big soulless going to buy up all your all your childhood and sell it back to you, which like there's an element <laughs> of truth to that. Absolutely. But 
there's also an element of the people who are making these movies are people who care very much about the stories they tell. Uh, this story was conceptualized by Lee Unkrich, I believe. I hope that's how I pronounce his name. Unkrich, I don't know. Hit me up if I get it wrong. Uh, him, not you random listeners. Uh, originally, <laughs> it was going to be about Amer- an American child learning about Mexican heritage while dealing with the death of his mother. And uh, they realized, like, ooh, this is the wrong approach to this. Like, we are dealing with a, with yeah. a whole culture, like a real culture. So it's like, let's, uh, apparently for, for him, it was like a lot of anxiety because he felt like all the responsibility now, like I'm going to tell the story, I got to tell it correctly. And then went about trying to find the way to tell that correctly. Uh, and there's a, uh, like, I think Disney does see a power too, and also money to be made in getting it right. <laughs> uh, cause they, you know, Mexico is a, is a market that they can yep. also sell this movie to. And if they sold it incorrectly, they aren't going to see the movie. Yeah, twenty three percent of as of the time of this movie being made of American moviegoers identify as Hispanic. Um, so one thing I noticed was a quote from Alex uh, Nahales, who is an unpaid advisor on Coco, and he's also the president and chief executive of the National Hispanic Media Coalition. Uh, he said the movie is a departure, but it's also a departure uh, without making a big deal out of it. They're just representing who we are, and I think that it would have made. Maybe more in his eyes, a big deal out of it. If you had had to have the the white American kid waltz through and say, "And this is what this is, and this is what this is," because you don't always need that like eye of the non-native viewer to come through and hold your hand. Like you can just let it be in this culture the way it is. Um, and I think that might be part of what he's getting at is that this movie doesn't dumb down that culture for you under the pretense that you don't know what it is. It just thrives in it instead Mm -hmm. it's good good. (laughs) Uh, and i think they they carried that like they carried that on into moana you know where they mm -hmm. really you know delved into polynesian culture and made sure that they consulted with a lot of people and one of the people who helped write the score and the the music for it is a polynesian music artist and Mm -hmm. you know so there's a, a very yeah. There's a very interesting video. Um, there's a great YouTube channel I like called Defunct Land, which looks into uh, theme parks and theme park rides that may, may not be around anymore, and tells the stories behind them. And they he has a really great one about Disney's America, which is a park that never came to be, which was going to be kind of in the Washington D.C. Northern Virginia area. Um, and it was not going to be so much like an, an amusement park with rides and stuff, but was going to be a little more historical and uh and educational and there's a, a shift in when they were making it where they realized like they were getting a bunch of they got a bunch of pushback from the people in the area like to the point where it ended up not happening and all these other reasons but there came a point in development where uh there was this there was somebody who was really you know telling them like if you're going to tell the story of america like don't don't wash it and make it clean. Like if you're going to tell the story of America, talk about slavery, talk about racism to the point where they were like, okay, can you help us with that? (laughs) If that's, you know, if that's that important, like, can you help us with that? And he like sort of in the same way that this, this cultural board came on board, like he, yeah, he started to, to help them. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, I love that about this movie. It, It really endeared it to me that they took so much effort into caring about that sort of stuff. Um, I also do want to call out because the director himself has talked about this at length, or I'm sorry, the, the writer, um, Unkrich, he 
has a quote and I won't, I won't dive into it. I know it's political. Um, but he does say, you know, that it's painful for me and a lot of people that there have been so much negativity in the world, specifically and unfairly having to do with Mexico. We're just honored and grateful that we can bring something positive and hopeful into the world and maybe do its own part to dissolve and erode some of those barriers that are between us. Um, this was an interview with the Washington Post. I'm sorry, New York Times, where he made a point to not name Trump by name, but also make note of the fact that this is a movie coming out in 2017, a year after a very divisive president with a lot of strong opinions on Mexico uh, was elected. Mm-hmm. So whatever your thoughts are on that, like there, there was there's build a wall hostility for, for, for lack of a better way to describe it. And this movie really tackles some of that head on, I think um, in a beautiful way. Yeah. So yeah. this was the first ever nine <laughs> figure budget, a uh, nine figure budget with an all Latino cast. We, we, we didn't talk about that as well. Like as long as we're talking about how they were working really hard to get it right. They did an awesome job casting actual Latino actors. Yeah. I think the only non Latino is John Ratzenberger in that. I think they can get a pass on because that's like a tradition for them is, yeah, he has Pixar, one line yeah. yeah, for Pixar's like, but for every other role, they made sure they got actual Latino people in it. And that is, that's awesome. It's cool. Do you guys yeah, think that looking to the smallest, do you guys think that looking 50 years from now, as long as we're talking about future classics, that there, we're going to look at this space in the latter half of the 2010s, early 2020s as the time at which there were what will turn out to be landmark, uh, pieces of, of, of art and media made particularly in film, I guess, by um, artists, by, by minority artists. Like, are we going to look at Coco and crazy rich Asians and, and talk about how these were like the, some of the first movies, you know, with all appropriately casted actors and actresses um, to kind of break that barrier and be financially successful. I think the second part is the bigger barrier that's been crossed recently i mean there have been movies made that have been that have had all hispanic casts or all asian casts and released in america it's just nobody saw them you know because they didn't get big budgets they didn't get big marketing pushes um and you know so it just yeah i mean there are some remarkable movies already out there with all Bennett casts, all Latinx cast, but this one was the first one to get a mega budget and a huge marketing. And I'm really glad that it did. It's it's not soon enough, but I'm glad that it's that the, the ball is rolling now. And I think we should, you know, encourage corporations like Disney to keep it rolling. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I think it'll be viewed under that lens of like, well, it's it's one of those things too, right? With like the old thing of, well, no, nobody going to see an action movie wants to see a woman in the role. And then you have like a woman led action movie come out and like, it makes a bunch of money. And it's like, okay, so people did want to see a woman in that role and are okay with it. Like, let's stop pretending that, you know, we're not like nobody. Most of the time that's, that's a fluke. You know, just that one movie with the female protagonist. Right, exactly. Yeah. Did well, but other ones won't. So, right. So, yeah. So, hopefully, like the narrative like can shift, like with stuff like this. Like, oh, well, it, you know, it wasn't just a fluke that this movie about Mexican culture, uh, it, 
was so financially successful. Oh, it's not just a fluke that a, a movie all about uh, crazy rich Asians is financially successful. <laughs> you know, like let's stop pretending that people will not go like people will not go see these movies because we will and we have and make more of them, please. Yes. Yeah. It it almost seems to me in a way. Um, I'm going to try to make a par- parallel here that I think does make sense on a musical perspe- perspective. Um, you have the particularly the the 50s, really the, the 40s, 50s, and and half of the 60s, where any black artist uh, in the U.S. in particular putting out what should rightly be justified as like rock and roll, like like Chuck Berry, for example, um, is relegated instead to R&B charts, rhythm and blues charts, right? Like because they could never be on the pop charts or the rock and roll charts because that was all the white artists. That was all the, you know, the white artists that were largely copying their songs, um, either verbatim as covers or, you know, copying their ideas. Um, and there finally became a point um, in part because people who had the privilege, like you know the Rolling Stones bringing out Howling Wolf and Muddy Waters, um, they had that privilege to open up that door and say, no, please listen to where we got it from. We're not stealing this. We are inspired by that. And they had the opportunity to then have people like Muddy Waters and Howling Wolf finally on some of those radio stations as they so deserve to be. Um, I see kind of a parallel to that with movies now where you do have people looking backward and saying, yeah, but this has been happening all along and we haven't paid enough attention to it until now. So please do. And I'm going to use my point of perspective as a, as a voice of authority and privilege to point back to that and say, this is why you should look at that. Um, that seems to be happening in some small degree in film. Yeah. And, you know, you, you got to hope that it's situations like this, which will will be, you know, we're going to even if it's a, you know, a white person kind of who, who greenlights the movie, like we're going to bring on the, the correct people both in front and behind the camera to, to have the correct representation. And also like, let's acknowledge it. Let's have like the conversations about it. You know, I think part of what's made Coco great is the conversations that have been around it and getting some of these names, you know, in the, in the limelight, like they brought one of their biggest critics of them with this movie on to consult for this movie. Uh, and that stuff's great and important. But like you said, it's also from like now Disney keep doing that, but make sure that we know the names of these people. Like they, they're being promoted along with the film. Exactly. Cause it can't just be like, look at me, look at me, you know, head honcho, white guy, always hiring minorities. Cause you'll clap for me. And that's sort of thing I'm, that you want me to do. You have to, you know, you have to reach a place where, where, where minorities are also in a, in a, position of power within that industry um similarly to anyone else so i i don't know i just i feel like there's a sea change there in film right now with some of these films um and maybe part of that is even something like parasite winning best picture um which is kind of thought to be a dark horse choice um moving backward this movie went through so many changes too and and faced a lot of controversy and it's kind of amazing it turned out as good as it did uh david do you want to talk a little bit about those controversies uh, well, I mean, the biggest controversy is the they were trying to Disney was trying to copyright the phrase "Dios de los Muertos" uh, for <laughs> merchandising purposes, and uh, they people were not happy about that, rightfully so. Yeah, <laughs> and there was also like the the this movie was in production. I, that's kind of like the biggest one. There wasn't a whole lot more around that um, aside from them being like, "Ooh, we hear you. We're not going to do that," uh, but. <laughs> 
the movie was in production from 2011 to 2017 and there was like all this different stuff that was gonna happen like the i think like the some of the family members were gonna sing instead of talk like it 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 got a little bit weird in some of the production (laughs) stuff so for it to have gone through however many rewrites and changes and them showing it to people and being like hey how can we fix this to get this cohesive product that it is because you have something like the good dinosaur which is kind of like two separate movies mashed together because it went through so many changes that uh i'm glad we got this yeah to open up oh, do you have something to call no no, oh. no 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 but to open up one of your can of worms um because i think now is an appropriate time uh one of your can of worms discussions was uh la chancla is that correct Oh, yeah. Uh, One of the can of worms that I put in our uh, docket is is a a set part of Mexican and Mexican-American culture, which is la chancla. Chancla, And la chancla is the the flip-flop. It's the shoe that Abuela whips off her foot to whack, you know, her son-in-law with or throw at the guy on the street who you know, joked with her and where she chucks it ahead of him and he's like, yeah, and you, and you understand that now, now go get my shoe, you know, <laughs> and she, she makes him go get it. And apparently this is, you know, I did a little bit of digging and there's, there's, it, there's starting to be ambiguous feeling about it. You know, uh, La Chancla is a, is a. You muted yourself, Nicole. She is muted. She is muted. Yes. <laughs> oh, sure. Sure. You, now it works. All right. You started as I... La Chancla is, and then it got. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. So all the way back at the very beginning of that. Oh, no. Okay. We heard like the flip flop oh. thing like a couple seconds oh, ago. Okay. You said La Chancla is, and then it got. Oh, La Chancla is a. Um, still to this day uh, and has been for a while a popular form of disciplining children um, is, you know, mom or grandma will whip the shoe off her feet and whack you with la chancla if you get out of line. Um, and a lot, this is something that I, di- I did a little digging on and a little reading on because I don't have any experience with that. You know, my mom didn't use any kind of corporal punishment. She didn't have the um, belt. Yeah, didn't have the belt, didn't have the switch, didn't have the paddle, didn't have la chancla. Um, so I think I maybe got spanked like once when I was four, and that's <laughs> probably it. Um, and so there's there's starting to be mixed feelings about it. A lot of people who grew up in Hispanic families look back on it as sort of um, a rite of passage and they look back on it with amusement and they're like, yep, I turned out great. And you know, now it's funny. And when I was a kid, it wasn't so funny, but now it's hilarious. And there's starting to be some ambiguous feelings where they're saying, yeah, when you're a kid, it's, it's really not so funny. And mm-hmm. so there's starting to be that turn in Hispanic culture um, about that. But I don't think it's really, I don't think it's it's at a turning point yet. You know, there was a video a few years ago called The Secret of La Chancla on YouTube that was very popular and it's gotten, you know, a million plus views. Um, and it's it's kind of funny. 
you know, I can, I see the humor in it, but it's also based on, you know, whacking children. So, so the yeah. reason it's I brought a, it up because I feel like I, I want, I, I don't want this to look like such a weird left turn. Uh, the reason I brought it up was because <laughs> that was one of the controversial elements in the pre-screenings was that originally, um, Miguel's grandmother was using a, a wooden spoon, um, and chasing after him. And oh, audiences, I mean, audiences did not take to that. So they, they had to soften it, which in their eyes was, was La Chancla. Yeah. Yeah. That, it there was it, there was a thing in America too for a time right like the belt like I mentioned the belt that oh, sure. was that was kind of the thing where now like the dialogue around it is so much like hey you know what that's not a super great way to deal with your your kids problems and it's still a conversation that's being had but the general feeling on it now is you know maybe we should talk to our kids instead of instead of hitting them with something so. It would be interesting, and again, I can't speak to to that culture at all. I can't speak to that idea, so I'm not going to. Um, but yeah, I'm curious what the and you're kind of inspiring me now to go look at what is the dialogue around that yeah. in Mexico right now because that that's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I, I thought that was interesting though, that that was the more palatable version that they landed on. Um, <laughs> In, in, in lighter things, uh, that's stupid Frozen short. And I have actually seen the Frozen short. Another <laughs> Wait, totally, <what? laughs> totally, like, we're going to divert here again. Another left turn. Um, David put in our docket that the movie's so great, I forgot about the terrible Frozen short that played before it. I had oh, seen this I because I remember. I Amazon, so I didn't see it. But I remember watching this short on YouTube shortly after because it was so reviled that it was like just a thing that I had to see. And it's bad. So- so it's it's not a short it's 22 minutes long it is very obviously something that was going to be put on tv it was olaf's stupid christmas who cares what it's called uh (laughs) and it it was so long and so bad you could tell they just like repurpose it and put it that eventually they would start listing what times the movie actually started like they would be like all right here's the time when the movie starts and then here's what time coco starts 30 minutes later uh and i think like some future uh, productions like they actually just took it out all together in the theaters which those lucky people who waited for that uh but that thing was so miserable and such a slog that i actually completely forgot about it even when bringing this movie back up until i saw something on wikipedia and that's that's how much i love this movie i'm willing to forgive them for making me watch that <laughs> and also like the whole idea of the pixar short historically is that it's short is that it's like five minutes or less it 22 minutes now I, I i have seen this in a live setting in a sense that was incredibly anticlimactic and you could feel palpable frustration in the audience and that was not in a movie theater because i did not see us in a theater it was at disney world when they started playing this on giant screens all over the park as part of the fireworks show and there's such a palpable distaste for this amongst Disney fans. There's like an audible like, uh, as soon as the Olaf's Frozen Adventure came across the screen. So I knew this was a very hated thing, uh, though I think Olaf's Stupid Christmas is a much better title. Uh, it's accurate, if you ask me. <laughs> I also love that apparently when writing it, they had no idea what Frozen 2 would be about. It was purely just a marketing tactic to do something Frozen in the meantime. Oh. Uh, in any case, uh, uh, we haven't talked about the twists in this movie, and it gets twisty. This Did this movie blow your guys' minds the way it did me, or did you see 
it coming that spoilers Hector is Miguel's actual grandfather, the one who wrote all the songs that Ernesto de la Cruz was famous for because Ernesto de la Cruz murdered him and took his guitar and his songs. Did you guys see that coming the first time? Because that took me totally by surprise. No, I did. <laughs> oh, I, okay. I was surprised at the time. <laughs> oh, no, it's just that Hector becomes so close to Miguel in like their their adventures and it it just it's not the kind of character that you necessarily have stick around unless they have a relationship with the main yeah an important relationship to the main characters and I don't know it just seemed you know and as soon as you discover he's a musician I'm like oh oh he's the actual (laughs) he's the real great grandfather um so i mean yeah it's but i was surprised that he was murdered that was (laughs) that was a shock in a disney movie to have a murder (laughs) yeah because like they have ernesto de la cruz as this in terms of like career path of, of ernesto de la cruz kind of like akin to elvis in the sense that he went from like touring musician to right poverty touring sensation uh to like mega sensation to vegas show or in between the vegas show and the mega sensation movie theater star right like a movie star all the things that Mm -hmm. elvis kind of did um including like unceremoniously dying uh, dying like during the vegas stint my god watching that thing fall on him i was like (laughs) whoa did they just do that uh in any case he, he he does he kills Hector with the same way he kills someone in one of his movies. Someone tries to kill him. Oh, someone tries to kill him with the same line. Yeah. It's, uh, it's messed up. And in a movie that's made made later, like he didn't have to put that in the movie. He signed (laughs) his crime. He's a sick, sick puppy. Oh, it was made later. Oh, of course it was because it was the beginning of their career. To our friendship. I would move heaven and earth for you, mi amigo. Salud! You walked me to the train station, but I felt a pain in my stomach. I thought it must have been something I ate. Perhaps it was that chorizo, my friend. Or something I drank. I woke up dead. You poisoned me. You're confusing movies with reality, Hector. Mm. It's just like kind of surprising because, you know, Disney movies, there's always like a parent dies or something. But this one, we watched the guy collapse in the street, which I'd kind of forgotten about. It's like, oh, yeah. shocking. Right. Uh, yeah, but it did catch me by surprise. And Nicole you know, brings up a good point. Like, yes, it's kind of littered throughout. You learn he's, he's, a, he's a musician. He worked with Ernesto de la Cruz. I, I did expect something to be up with la Cruz simply because... Just the the veneer of, of him as a character that Miguel worships as a pop star was too clean and too obnoxious to, to for him to really be that great. Yeah. And sure enough, he isn't. Um, yeah. One of my favorite scenes, however, is like the the fancy people, high end cocktail disco tech pop party that <laughs> Ernesto de la Cruz hosts every uh, every holiday. Oh my god! And the Frida Kahlo presentation, 
I we almost forgot yeah. to mention Frida Kahlo in this movie, which is hilarious. It's like all the dentists will come out of the papaya, and they are all me, and then they will go crawling up onto the cactus, which is also me. Oh. You know? And uh, they drink of her milk, but it is her tears. And then just then it was like everything is on fire. And the first time, like the first time that came up, and like it was suddenly on fire on stage in the theater was one of the greatest greatest things I'd uh, ever seen. Yeah, the they, audience they, reaction, <laughs> sort of nonplussed. They, and they kind of nailed her style. Like, uh, yeah. Oh, so so incredibly good. Yeah. So I mean that as as we round out our discussion here, that the ending of the movie was just so incredibly fulfilling for me because of this wonderful little twist and and all the awesome stuff that came with it. Um, I do want to open up Nicole's other can of worms very briefly because it's super interesting, and I, we can get emails on it hopefully because. I mean, you're 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 Catholic, or or, or um, grew I was up Catholic, raised Catholic. Raised Catholic, yeah. Um, so, how does the land of the dead square up against Catholic idea of heaven? Uh, of course, a lot of Hispanic families are Catholic. Um, I did a bunch yeah, of reading. Mexico is a very heavily Catholic country, right? Now, now, my understanding, as given to me by the Catholic Church in their official statement on the holiday, is that they consider it a more spiritual thing of like, we don't actually believe there's a land of the dead that all these people are coming to visit you from. It's more of just a celebration of life and remembrance and all the rest is kind of theater. That that's the the vibe I get from their official statement. Uh, How convenient for them. (laughs) Yeah. We'll, we'll go along with it, but you know, with the understanding that, you know, our, our way is the, the real thing, you know, that's the real thing that happens after you die. So, just yeah. so you know. Well, as, <laughs> this movie, how would you reconcile it? I guess because there's like the two deaths, which is a really harrowing concept. Uh, <laughs> kind of based on that yeah. phrase, right? Like that you die twice. You, the first time is when you actually, when you physically die. The second time is the last time someone speaks your name. And uh, kind of a kind of a play on that. But maybe that's where they go after the land of the dead when you're forgotten. Yeah, maybe. maybe. I guess. Yeah. It's just, it's weird that, you know, in the land of the dead, they, they call it the final death and they say, no one knows what happens after, you know, they, they don't say in the land of the dead, they don't talk about heaven. They don't say, you know, we're going, when we're forgotten, we'll go, we'll pass on to heaven. But in the meantime, we'll, you know, party and enjoy ourselves here in the land of the dead. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, to, to, to quote, uh, catholic.com uh they they say the main point of the day is prayer works of mercy and penance for our for our dear dead combined with the strongest means of helping them reach their heavenly homeland so that seems to to align with that maybe a little bit that maybe that final final destination final destination two is uh (laughs) is 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 actual heaven of some sort i'm not sure i'd love for someone to write in on this if they have any more authority on it than we do because we have none um but you're right it's an interesting thing to square against because they are somewhat contradictory ideas of you know what happens after death i guess yeah i mean catholicism has a long christianity in general has a long history of sort of uh absorbing pagan traditions and making them either taking all the the power out of them or incorporating them into their 
celebrations and being like, oh yeah, this is, yeah, we we came up with this. We've been doing this all along. You know, it's called Christmas. I haven't heard of it. Yeah. So. Gosh, interesting though. I and I believe Jesus was supposedly born in the spring. No, where is Christmas? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, please, yep. please write in on this, folks. I'd be curious to get thoughts on it from anyone who who is um who celebrates Dia de los Muertos or um or the Catholic religion, anything like that. We'd love to hear from you. Uh Coco, is it a future classic? Yeah. It was phenomenal. <laughs> it was this might be my new favorite Pixar movie. I would go that far. That I loved it that much. Um, that wow. might be the music side of it because it's so, it's like, it's for the love of music, man. And that stuff always <laughs> makes me feel really good. So that might be part of it that like is the right heartstring to pull. Um, Nicole, what about you? You're the other one that's kind of judging it. We already know where David stands. I, I, I think so. <laughs> I'm I'm not as solid on it. Um, I'm not sure why I'm I'm hesitant about it. Maybe because I I don't know how. I don't know. I didn't feel that close to Miguel himself. Mm. Um. But the story was fascinating, and I, I liked his journey, and I liked everything, and it's beautiful visually. And I do think this is going to be a, a classic film in time. Um, but I just, it, and it made me cry. And not a lot of movies do that anymore as I get, you know, old and jaded and, you know, jaded. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So if it can, if it can make me cry, then it's, uh, then it's, it's done, you know, it's reached in past all my expectations as a moviegoer. You know, there's the language, you follow the language of movies for long enough, you can start to predict where they're going to, what buttons they're going to push and how and where that's going to come from. And you feel kind of manipulated and that keeps you from having a true emotional response but this got me and i don't know if it's because a i fear death or b because (laughs) i had a great grandparent who had alzheimer's and was losing her memory at the end and you know was starting to not recognize some family members um and or if it was just a beautiful song sung by this boy who you can tell the boy is crying when he's singing it. And I don't know. I don't, it got me, you know, it's effective. Yeah. It's effective and it's beautiful. And I want a pet Pepita, but I'm never going to have one, which is, makes me sad. <laughs> I, I do briefly want to mention, I, I feel like we're doing this movie a disservice to not, and you alluded to it is we never really talked about the color. You talked about the visuals there. This is, the most colorful animated movie I've ever seen. Like just the vividness of these incredibly, incredibly bright, like neon colors all over the place throughout the land of the dead that are contrasted really starkly with very, very dark sections. It's always night in the land of the dead from what we've seen anyway. Um, I guess it's not always night. There's, there's a sunrise, but it's night that he's there. Just that color scheme of the entire movie is stunning. And, and to my understanding, very true to the the colorfulness of the actual day in that culture. Um, I wanted to throw it out there too. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. 
uh, David. Course, and the no- lighting design in the movie is fantastic. Oh, I know. Mm-hmm. Um, such a beautiful movie. Uh, David, any closing thoughts on, on Coco? Uh, it is like, see it. If you haven't, if you somehow listen to all of this and you st- and you still haven't watched and you're still on the fence. I don't know why you would be. Go watch this movie, share it with people. I just, I love this movie so much. I, Brett, I, I don't know if it's my favorite Pixar movie, but it's definitely probably in my top five, maybe top three. That's how much I love this movie. I'm right there with you. Yeah. And I think you guys, you guys know this, and I don't know if I've talked about this at, at length on, on movie go round. I know I did it on geek cinema, but I, I don't really like animated movies all that much. They've never really appealed mm-hmm. to me a ton. And you guys have introduced me to so many wonderful ones that I, my opinion over the years has changed. You know, everything from, you know, Akira to, to this, to um, the hand movie. I'm <laughs> blanking on the name right now. Uh, um, <laughs> lost my body? I um, lost my body. Yo, I lost my you body. Grew up, you grew up in a decade with like a, a glut of like, Bad knockoffy, straight to video yeah. kind of animation, and you know it, it's there's so much both bef- before and after that era. You know that you know since Pixar really kind of got its feet under it and freaking stopped making freaking Cars movies, it's been really <laughs> <laughs> hitting it out of the park consistently. Um, so, I mean, yeah, you gotta, I used to think I didn't like horror movies and then I started seeing the really great ones and I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Oh, oh, I get it. You know? Yeah. So. No, no, you're right. I I grew up in an era that's post, you know, the time in which I was watching animated movies was kind of post the original Toy Story and we're talking like shark Tale and open season like these are not <laughs> great a films uh and and then ended up viewing stuff you know before and after and, and you're totally right it's a whole different whole different box of, of goodies that i've just really loved exploring on the show uh, but that'll do it for myself david and nicole a reminder we are watching guardians next week a 2017 russian film uh, nicole where can people find you online you can find me taking care of our Facebook page at facebook.com slash moviegoroundpodcast. Very good. And David, what about you? At Davluz, D-A-V-L-U-Z, Twitter, Instagram. Find me there. Very good. You can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. You can email the show. We'd love to hear from you. Hi, H-I at MGRpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter. We will tweet out the You Did This To Us polls and all that good stuff at Movie Go Round Pod. Check us out there. We will see you next week for Around the World. It's the one night of the year our ancestors can come visit us. I thought it might have been one of those made-up things. I was just... Tonight is about family. I am not like the rest of my family. There's something that makes me different. Great-great-grandfather, I want to be a musician just like you. 